All righty. So uh, thank everybody for uh, for coming once uh, once again. Um, so we're going to try and do is we're going to try and just uh, jump right into the uh, to the sitter and just get ourselves uh, going. Uh, let's hope that uh, last week's introduction was uh, was suffice, and that uh, as we make our way through, as we said, we're going to try uh, to the degree that I could control myself, not explain word by word or phrase by phrase what's actually happening. But really, it's going to be just an overview, uh, sort of like as you're flipping through the pages, uh, so you'll know what's happening on the uh, the various uh, pages which uh, which are there. So what we're going to begin with is, let's see if I can pull this off. So what, um, there's a PDF on your screen. Okay, yes. Well. Yes. Great. So. What we're going to begin with over here is you can see, I just took this from the uh, the kids art scroll just because we have about 3000 of them in the house. <laughs> you wonder why, uh, but we have all of these in, in the house. So what we're going to begin with is really this, uh, this opening prayer, which we say when we wake up in the morning. And here, this is it's this uh, the first three lines over here. The advantage of this is that there's numbers on the side of the lines. So I could go ahead and can make reference to it uh, where we are. So here we have Moda'ani. Uh, Moda'ani, it's interesting. This is, again, one of those things which in the history of the, uh, the sitter and the evolution of the sitter is actually a somewhat recent addition. It is written by, the name of the Sefer where you find this particular language is called the Seder Hayom. That's who it is. It was written by somebody named Rav Moshe ben Machir. Moshe ben Machir, I assume nobody has heard of him. But he had a number of very famous colleagues. So he was a, uh, a great uh, 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 Kabbalist from Sfas in the 16th century. And if you think back to uh, whatever uh, brief history you know about 16th century Sfas, so you know that he was the uh, people who were around at that time are people like the Arizal, people like Rav Shoma Alkabetz, who wrote the Lechadodi, Chaim Vital, who was responsible for recording the teachings of the Arizal, amongst other Eliezer Azkiri, who I think wrote Yedid Nefesh. So I can't imagine that Tzvast in the 16th century was any big, any bigger than, let's say, Timberidge, if it was even that big. And yet you had this like incredible concentration of Rabbanim and Kabbalists who were all uh, converged over there. And they were incredibly, incredibly productive as far as the, the output of Torah literature, which, uh, which they produced. So the, the language which we have of Moda'ani, lines one, two, and three on the PDF in front of you. So he is the one who actually uh, composed this. And it is essentially, it's giving thanks to Hashem for Shechazarta, line two says, Shechazarta binishmasi b'chemla, that in your great compassion, you went ahead and returned my soul to me. And I think that what we are trying to do now, what's interesting about this is one of the things which you find that the, uh, the postkin discuss regarding this particular tefillah is the fact that, as you see, it says over here, even before line one, as soon as you wake up, thank Hashem by saying. So what's going on over here is, as we're going to uh, discuss, that for the most part, the first thing that we do in the morning is the tefillah shedayim. So we wash our hands, what we call, we call negovasar. That's really the first activity of the, uh, of the day. But even before we get around to negovasar, so we go ahead and we say moda'ani. And this is something which is uh, incredibly powerful. And this is going to be a theme to a large degree in terms of what we're going to discuss tonight, 
But what's going on over here is, is we're establishing a tone for the day. If you listen to any one of those, uh, you know, from whatever the various disciplines uh, that, they, uh, that you would find them, who talk about the importance of your morning routine and how to get off, how to start off the day on the correct foot. So far, not too much has to do with running uh, 16 miles or something, but or, or biking 16 miles. But they have the idea of what you're going to go ahead and what you're, what you're going to do. So one of the things that they talk about is starting off the day with an expression of gratitude. And this is something which is not coming from religious people per se. This is coming from people who maybe who are who are fully secular. But one of the important things in terms of creating a good mindset, which is going to follow you throughout the day, is to begin with a sense of gratitude. Some people talk about sitting down while you're having your morning coffee or you're having your morning tea, whatever it happens to be. And they actually talk about journaling and writing down things which you are grateful for. And it's not as if every day that you need to come up with something which is new, but you want to go ahead and you want to set the tone of the day of being something that you are grateful for. And in this regard, this of Moshe ben Machir, the Seder Hayom, so he went ahead and he composed this thing before we do anything during the day, before we even wash Negovasser. So we're going to begin the day with a, a, a sense of gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the fact that he went ahead and he returned our soul to us. So as you all know, this is based on the idea that when we go to sleep at night, so uh, our soul leaves our physical body and it goes up to Shemayim. And the way the Zohar writes it, and this, this Zohar actually is very interesting for us in Choshu Mishpat, because it actually has uh, a- application. It's actually quoted by the Ksos in Choshu Mishpat. But the idea is, is that we were given a, a, a pikadum. We are given something, a, a neshama from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to watch over during the day. And at night when we return it to him, so we return it back to him, most instances, it's a little dirtier than it was. It's a little more worn out and a little dirtier than it was when it was given to us. So from that perspective, HaKadosh Baruch Hu say, listen, I entrusted you with this precious, holy object. You went ahead and you made it uh, dirty, you got some stains on it. It's going to be very difficult to, uh, to clean off. You know what? I'm not giving it back to you tomorrow because if you know, you're, you've demonstrated yourself to be irresponsible as far as taking care of your, your neshama is concerned. That's where the chemla, that's where the great uh, uh, compassion which HaKadosh Baruch has to return to us the soul nonetheless. So even though it's not something which we deserve, we can mandate and demand, listen, I was, uh, I was perfectly responsible yesterday, and therefore you should entrust me today as well. It's really out of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy that he goes ahead and he returns our soul to us. And that should give us a deep sense of appreciation, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made that decision to go ahead and give us our soul back for another day, our neshama back for another day. And that's where it says, Rabba Emunasecha, the last two words are Rabba Emunasecha, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has tremendous faith in our capabilities, in what he thinks that we're going to be able to accomplish over our lifetime, <coughs> and that we not only have the potential to do so, but we have the ability to go ahead and succeed. And therefore, it's with that great faith, which Hashem has in us, that he went ahead and he makes the decision to return our soul to us. But this is the first thing right out of the bat. The first thing of, of the day is going to be this tremendous expression of thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the Moda'ani, the Fanech. I'm, I'm giving thanks before you for giving me, for allowing me to wake up, to have consciousness, to be mindful of the circumstance of my life. 
and this should be done first thing, first thing. Again, if you listen to these uh, people who talk about having a, a good routine in the morning, especially if you listen to the, uh, to the neuroscience fellows. So they talk about how the first hour after you wake up, so the brain is still processing from your, from your dreams. They put great importance on, on dreaming in terms of consolidation of memory, in terms of being able to be, a, to be creative. And it's a very important thing to allow the mind to be free during that first hour. And they are actually very against going onto your device and start scrolling first thing in the morning. They think that that's something which is very disruptive to the way the brain is designed to, uh, to, uh, to function and to transition from nighttime to, uh, to daytime. Putting all of that aside, whether you should look at your phone the first hour of the day or you should not look at your phone the first hour of the day, I don't know how many of you use your phone as your alarm clock. I don't need a show of hands. But I would definitely tell you that right after turning the alarm off, the first thing you do before checking texts or emails or any of those things, if that is your practice, I would definitely begin with Moda'ani. I would definitely begin with this expression of thanks, starting off the day and being mindful of the fact that what you're trying to do is you're trying to set the tone for the day to be thankful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the stuff which, uh, which, he has provi- which he has provided for us. I was, I forgot to do this, my son told me. Um, one of the things which I was, uh, which I heard, uh, I'm in the middle of a, a shir, towards the end of a shir, really. But what he talked about is, is that many people, I think we've, we've talked about this in shul over, over the years, but one of the things which people think is necessary is that in order for a person to become a tzaddik, in order for a person to become better at their Yiddishkeit, so it's going to involve a great investment of time. I'll have to spend more time learning. I'll have to spend more time davening. I'll have to spend that. It's going to, it's going to involve a greater investment of time that I'm already giving. And the truth is, is that that's not the case at all. In order to go ahead and to become better at our Yiddishkeit, what we need to do is, all you don't need to invest more time per se, but what we do need to do is we need to go ahead and bring more mindfulness and consciousness to the things which you are already doing. And if we could just go ahead and maximize the activities which we're already doing, the davening which we're doing anyways, and the mitzvahs which we're doing anyways, and we just bring a higher level of consciousness to that, so then that already is going to upgrade our entire existence and our entire avodas Hashem, our, our, our service of Hashem, and that makes that, that frames the whole day very differently. He gave as an example, which I think is a, is a very nice example, that, uh, that uh, the, for those who put on tillin, the men who put on tillin every day. So uh, over the years, and especially if you're at a minion, you're trying to rush your way through it. So it becomes a very, it becomes a very rushed activity. Got to get my tillin on because davening has already started. It's about to start, whatever it happens to be. But the bottom line is that when you take your tillin out and you unwrap it, you have 10, 15 seconds or something as you're getting your tefillin ready to actually put on your arm or put on your head. And during those couple of moments when you're unwrapping the tefillin, getting them ready to put on, put on your arm and put on your head, that's the, the opportune time to uh, internalize what exactly we're doing. At this moment, I'm about to go ahead and I'm about to dedicate my heart, that's the tefillin shal yad, and I'm about to dedicate my mind to service Hashem. This becomes like a... Uh, 
uh, a router of sorts, which you go ahead and you attach to the body. And that router gives you a better connection to pick up a signal from, from Hashem. And we're, you have to unwrap your children anyways, and you're going to put them on anyways. So why not just be conscious of that, be mindful of that when you're doing it, and it doesn't cost you any extra time. We're not talking about sitting there for half an hour before you put on your children in the lotus position, humming and uh, meditating to yourself all about the greatness of, uh, of putting on tefillin. We're not talking about, <laughs> exactly, Ralph. We're not talking about doing any of those any of those things. We're talking about just using the time, which is it, it takes anyways to perform that mitzvah and just think about it a little more. So Modeani, undoubtedly, everybody is saying Modeani in the morning in the morning. Hopefully, everybody's saying Modeani in the morning, anyways. All you need to do is just be mindful of the fact that what you're doing is you're you're expressing your thanks to Akadish Baruch Hu for the very fact that you woke up this morning. That's it. It's a very it's a very simple thing, but it's a very powerful thing because if that's the first conscious act which you do of the day, as we said, that's going to set the tone for the entire remainder of the uh, of the day. And that's why something which is uh, so important and something which is uh, so powerful. Now, after that, so you see over here, back onto the, uh, what hopefully is on the, the screen by you. So what you have over here is now you have these additional psukim which, which are said. And as much as I spent time trying to, uh, to research and figure out who exactly compiled these psukim, and if you look in different sidurim, so you'll find it in different places. Some people do have it, some people don't have it, some people have the order a little bit differently. This is one of those things in terms of the, the evolution of the sitter and how it, is a, 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 it ha has evolved and continues to evolve over time. But uh, we're just going to take this one, which is uh, as it appears over here, because as I said, this is the easiest one to be able to, uh, to follow. So here also, it's not clear exactly where they came from. In one of the Sidurim, which I have, I'll read to you what he writes. He, he's quoting from Rav Moshe Cordovero, which I actually think is around that same time that the Seder Hayom is from, is around that uh, 16th century, one of the great uh, Kabbalists. So he writes, so he, made, he writes, he has, um, uh, he has the line on line seven, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Morashach, Yaakov, and he has the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael. Those are the two additional psukim which he says that a person is going to say after Nitzil Asudayim. We'll get back to Nitzil Asudayim later on. But once you're going to go ahead and invoke God's name, like in, uh, in Shema Yisrael, so then for sure you have to have washed your hands before doing so. The advantage of Modani at the top of the page is it doesn't mention God's name. And that's why most poskim are of the opinion that you could say that even before you've washed Negevaser. But once you say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, God's name, you're not allowed to say before you go ahead and you wash your, your hands. But he says, he writes, The reason why it, these two psukim of Shema Yisrael in Torah Tziva were chosen, and those who remember from the Gemara in Sukkah, which we had not too long ago in Dafyomi, so the Gemara, went, as it's talking about the mitzvah of Chinuch, of educating children, so the, the, and the, the, uh, the point at which you're going to educate children for various mitzvahs. So the, the, the Gemara there says, the Bryce there says that when a child knows how to talk, we teach him Torah. What's Torah? So there, the, one of the psukim that we mentioned is Shema Yisrael and Torah Tzivalanu. So those are the first two psukim which we teach a child the first, when they're first able to talk. That's what we go ahead and we teach them. And he says, the reason why, 
the reason why we go ahead and we chose these two psokim, Leos Kibahem Kalulim Rov Pinos Ikari Hatorah. Because these two psukim, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alkeinu Hashem Echad and Baruch Shem, we'll count that as one, and Torah Tzivalanu, they form the foundation of our belief in Judaism, the foundation of the beliefs of Judaism. Why? The Pasuk Shema Yisrael, so in the Pasuk Shema Yisrael, obviously we declare Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, Hashem is our God, He is one. Kolum Metzias HaKel. So this goes ahead and establishes the principle connecting with the, the previous series, this establishes the principle of the, the existence of a creator, the existence of God. which is Hashem. And then the Pasuk of Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, so that you have, where is that? That's line seven on the PDF there. That establishes the fact that Torah comes from, Torah is divine. And it was given to us via Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. U b'nevuah. It also establishes the fact that there's such a thing as nevuah because that was the means. That's how we downloaded Torah from the cloud to the uh, to uh, to earth in the first place, onto the two tablets in the first place. And b'nevuah Moshe. And it also establishes the authenticity of Moshe Rabbeinu being the navi who was capable of bringing down Torah from Shemayim. So that is. The idea of Torah Tzivalanu Moshe. That's the importance of that first phrase, the first half of the line seven over there, that the Torah was given to us, was commanded to us by Moshe. And then he says, we also have Scharva Onesh. We also have the idea of reward and punishment. That is, Morashak Hilas Yaakov. That's the second half, where it continues to be inheritance for the congregation of Jacob, for the, for the Jewish people. So you have these very fundamental Jewish ideas, uh, uh, statements of faith, with our, which are part of these psukim. And that, I think, <coughs> in many ways, tells us, uh, explains us with that in mind, we can understand why the other psukim, which are here, are also part of that same uh, uh, mindset and consciousness, which we're trying to bring to the forefront of our mind, we're always aware of it on uh, perhaps an unconscious level, we're trying to bring it to the forefront of our consciousness right at the beginning of the day, because this frames for us who we are, what we are, and what we're trying to accomplish over the course of the day. So even before you get around to your to-do list of what you're going to do that day, what your responsibilities are or are not for the day, the first thing we need to be aware of is why are we here? And what is the purpose of our existence? So from that perspective, you see from line four, So the first and foremost thing that we need to know at the beginning of all wisdom is fear of God. So this is something which is incredibly important to, uh, to, to be mindful of, of all the pursuits that we have and everything that we're running after. So first and foremost is Yiras Hashem, is the awe and reverence which we're supposed to have for Hashem. Seichel tov sehem, and all those who fulfill His commandments gain good understanding. That's the Seichel Tov. Tehilaso, Omenesad, and the praise is forever and ever. We go ahead and we bless the, the honored name of his Malchus forever and ever. So there we're bringing con- to our consciousness the fact that Kosh Baruch Hu is the Melech and his Malchus is forever. Torah Tziva, we already explained. Then in line H, here we also talk about not only is Torah, line 7, Torah Tziva, Lanu Moshe, is in many ways talking about Torah Shebech 
that the Torah, the written Torah, which Moshe Rabbeinu brought from Shemayim down to earth, Shema Beni Musa Avicha when we talk about the rebuke of the father and the Torah of the mother, that's very much Torah Shabbat. And that's going to be our relationship with that in the necessity to be able to have, to be, to be connected with that. Torah Tehei, or Torah Sehei Emunasi, the Kel Shakai Bezrasi. So the Torah is going to be my faith. And Kel Shakai is God, Bezrasi. He is going to be the one who's going to help me. So that's the dynamics of the relationship that Akash Baruch is going to be there with us throughout our travels over the course of the day. And you're going to go ahead and attach yourself. We always talk about dveikus. So here's the pasuk of dveikus, that you're going to attach yourself to Hashem, your God, because he is the source of life for today. So this is the emphasis. This, again, is framing what my day is going to be like. My day is going to be the, a day of dveikus, a day of attachment to Hashem. Hashem, and then we go ahead and we say this is part of the bracha that uh, Yaakov gave to his sons that Hashem, that your salvation is what I hope for from uh, from Hashem. So as we said, these psukim which we say after the Tiyashadaim, which we're going to get to in a moment, but these psukim which we say, so they're designed to go ahead and give us our reference point for who we are what our relationship is, and what are the values, which no matter what we're actually going to do during the day, ultimately all of those activities should be infused with Yiras Hashem, and should be infused with Torah, and the perspective of the relationship, which I'm supposed to have personally with Torah, and obviously Dveikas with Hashem, all of that becomes intertwined with the, into these Pesukim, and that is the consciousness and the mindfulness, which we're going to, we want to have with us as we go on throughout the rest of the day. So this is, this is, this frames for us everything which is, go, which is, which is going to happen. So that is Modeani and then these, uh, these Pesukim. Now, as I said, we're going to go back a little bit. So the truth is, is that in order to, uh, to, uh, uh, to be able to say these psukim, so the first thing that needs to be done is netil shadaim, is we have to wash an ego vasar in, uh, in, in the morning. Now, uh, I, I was unaware of this, uh, that there was actually such a debate as this, but there's different ways by which an ego vasar is going to be done. I'll just to tell you, just to, to make sure that uh, for... Uh, for the uh, the conventional way that we do it is is you have your washing cup whatever's going to be your washing cup it gets filled up you pick it up with your right hand you hand it over to your left hand and then you pour water on the right hand on the left hand right hand left hand right hand left hand three times uh, 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 back and forth between the, between the two hands and you want to make sure that each time that you pour on the hand it's going to cover the entire hand all the way to the to the wrist the reason we do so is and we're going to go backwards in the simon, but this is in Shokharach, simon dalad, sif base. We don't need this right now in front of me. I don't know if we'll need it anymore. But over here, Shokharach says, Yedaktek laros aleim mayim shalosh pavim. So you should be careful to make sure that you pour the water on your on each of your hands three times. Lahavir ruach ra sheshor aleim. To get rid of the ruach ra, we'll just call that harmful spirit, uh, which, which is going to reside over them. So the idea behind this is, behind this idea is that when a person goes to sleep at night, so as we mentioned, this, the neshama leaves the body. The neshama goes out of the body. And the nature of tuma in tahara is that when tahara is there, so tahara has this expansive capacity. 
and it fills up the entire goof, it fills up the entire body with neshama. So while the tahor neshama is in the body, so that sort of repels away any tumah from being able to reside. But as soon as the neshama goes back up to shamayim when we fall asleep, so what happens is, is anytime there's a void of tahara, so tumah is going to fill that void. So that's why overnight we assume that, uh, that the body became filled with, uh, with tumah. Then when Akash Baruch Hu restores the soul, so the soul, again, it's like a water oil type of thing. So you go ahead and you pump the tahara back into the body. When the tahara is pumped back into the body, the tumah goes away. But what happens is it doesn't go away cleanly. And it remains on the, we'll just call it the extremities <coughs> for argument's sake, but it remains on the hands. So it remains on the hands. That's where you have a little bit of a residual leftover tumah, which is there. And the only way to get rid of it, the Kabbalists say, is to go ahead and wash an Egovasa in the morning. So we go ahead and that's the first, that first activity which we do after we say Moda'ani, then we, uh, we take that moment to think about that. So the first thing that we do is we wash three times in order to get rid of the tuma. Now the Mishnah points out over here that he says that, that if the whole purpose in, uh, in washing uh, in the morning was just to get rid of the, uh, the tuma which is on the hand, so Chazal would not go ahead and institute a bracha of al for the action of getting rid of something which is bad. When you do something to get rid of something which is bad, so Chazal don't institute a bracha for that. Uh, if you remember from uh, previous uh, discussions of, also over, over the years, is that mitzvahs asay, positive command, have the ability to infuse more kedusha, more tahara into what's going on. Alosa say, in our terminology, in young Israel terminology, is don't make a mess. So when you do something to get rid of something which is bad, like getting rid of the tumah, which, which, which is left over on your hands after you slept overnight, so what you're doing is you're getting rid of something bad, you're cleaning up the mess, and there's no bracha that one recites on the cleanup of a mess. So if all we were doing, if the, whole, if the only purpose of washing hands in the morning was simply to go ahead and get rid of the tumah, then there would not be a bracha of al-nitzil so that is taken as a given that that would not be. So there have to be additional reasons why we wash the hands beyond just the fact that we're trying to get rid of the tumor. And for that, we have to go backwards in the Mishnah Bura, where he says, this is at the very beginning of Simon Dalad. So he writes, So there's two additional reasons. So when he says two, that's going to be in addition to the Ruach Ra. So the first one is the Rush. The Rush says that what happens is, is, that overnight, so your people are not conscious of where their hands are. And who knows, generally when you touch a part of the body which is considered to be dirty, which is anything which is normally covered, so that that triggers before you could go ahead and you could daven or say any brachas, so you have to wash your hands. Any covered part of the body that you touch, so that triggers an obligation to wash the hands before you say a davashah, before you learn, before you daven, before you say any bracha whatsoever. So it was assumed that for the most part during the day, a person could be conscious of where their hands are. And therefore we don't necessarily automatically assume that you touch the covered part of the body, which would trigger an obligation to wash your hands. But while you're asleep at night, there's no way that you would know what part of your body you're touching or not. 
to want to know. But there's no way that a person is going to be conscious of that uh, in any way. And it's assumed that over the course of the night, you must have touched some cover part of the body. And therefore, before you could daven and before you can start to learn in the morning, before you can do any of those holy activities, you got to wash your hands. Uh, you wash your hands first thing. So here, it's not so much that we're trying to get rid of ruach ra. It's not an issue of ruach ra of the harmful spirit which results from tuma. But over here, the purpose of washing the hands is to go ahead and to clean them so that you could say bracha. So it's a hachana. It's considered to be a preparation for davening. And that is a positive act. You're not just trying to get rid of something which is bad. That's a positive act. And the, the rush says, <laughs> That it was with this in mind, the Chazal instituted this practice of not only washing hands, but also to say the bracha on the tila sudaim after washing the hands, because you're readying them to be able to, uh, to, uh, to daven. That's the Russia's reason. But the shortcoming of that is that the fact that if that were true, that when we wash our hands in order to be able to daven, that necessitates a bracha, then one would expect that before davening mincha, you should wash your hands and you should say, I'm And then at, between mincha marv, everybody should run out again. And we should go, it should be like birkas khanim. Everybody goes out, they should wash their hands again before davening marv. And then you should have, say another bracha of al And halacha doesn't mandate that. Halacha only says in the morning, do we, when we wash our hands, for davening, is there a bracha of netil shadaim? But when davening mincha and marv, even though you have to wash your hands before davening, we don't say the bracha of al netil shadaim. So there must be an additional reason as to why we go ahead and wash our hands. And this is really what I'm trying to get to. And this is, the Mishaburah quotes this from the Rashba. He says that, number one is, that what we are doing is, is that, uh, let me read it to you over here. In the morning, like we talked about with Modani, I'm sort of like a new creation. I didn't have a soul, and without a soul, so it's just a lifeless body. So I didn't have a soul overnight. HaKadosh Baruch Hu restores my neshama to me. So it's as if I'm a new creation. And we have to give thanks HaKadosh Baruch Hu on this. And that's also why, which we'll get to hopefully next week, that's why we have all of Birchos HaShachar, where we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all of the mundane things which the body is able to do. And now he says, and here's the key, So therefore, since we're a new creature who's now going to serve God, we now have to sanctify our hands. And we wash our hands. It's not enough, let's say you just had a, a barrel of water in your kitchen just to go ahead and dip your hands into that water. It's not a matter of water coming in contact with the hands, but you specifically have to pour the water on your hand from a cleave, from a utensil. Why is it necessary to, to uh, specifically to wash your hands from a utensil? So he says, because it's reminiscent, because this reminds us of the Kohanim. Before the Kohanim are able to do any of the Avodah in the Beis HaMikdash, yeah, not too long ago for Dafyomi people in Yuma. So we know that before the coin is allowed to do any avoda in the base of Mikdash, first thing they had to do was they had to wash their hands and feet. That was a prerequisite, and it was it's a, a very serious offense, and it could actually invalidate the avoda in the event that a coin were to serve and offer a korban without having pro, uh, washed his hands and feet prior to doing the avoda. 
So when we wash our hands in the morning, and it's specifically in the morning, because that's the outside of the day, when we go ahead and do so, what we're trying to, the consciousness and the mindfulness, which we're trying to bring to mind is that every person in their day's activity is like a Kohen who's about to serve in the Beis Amitash. So whatever holiness in sacred thoughts and holy thoughts that one would imagine that Kohanim are going to have in the Beis Amitash as they get ready to go ahead and offer a korban, and that's a, uh, it's a sanctity, which is really beyond our imagination, what we could actually think that is. But in a miniature way, every time we wash Negovasar in the morning, we want to have in mind this idea that I am also now going to be serving God over the course of my, of my day. It's even if I'm going to work, I'm going to spend 12 hours at work, running around doing all of work-related things. And I'm not going to think consciously about God-related matters during that time. But that's also your avodas Hashem. That's part of your service, Hashem, is to do a good job at the job that you're, uh, that you're, you're going to be doing, whatever those activities are. And simply by washing hands first thing in the morning, having in mind that this is now preparation for me to go ahead and serve Hashem for the rest of the day, akin to what the Kohanim had to do in the Beis Amitash before they could serve and do their avoda, that hopefully that consciousness and that awareness will elevate your perspective on what you're going to be doing over the course of the day. And all of those mundane things which I do are now my form of service of, of the Beis Amitash. They're serving in the Beis Amitash. So all of those activities, as we talk about all the time, that holiness, going back to what I mentioned earlier from this shir that, I was, uh, that, I'm, that I'm listening to, and that, that being holy and being uh, attentive and being attached to Hashem doesn't mean that I need to sit for hours meditating. I go about the things which I do day in and day out anyways, but just adopting the perspective that all of this is part of my avodas Hashem, all of this is part of my service of Hashem, and therefore to prepare my entire day to be one which is infused and filled and, and occupied entirely with avodas Hashem, I need to wash my hands first thing in the morning. And that gives us that frame of mind, that perspective that throughout the rest of the day, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing is this idea of, <coughs> of, of, uh, of serving Hashem in that way, of elevating what I'm going to do in order to be able to, uh, to serve Hashem in that, uh, in that way. And that's uh, also a very powerful thing to begin the day with, that mindfulness of the fact that my day, regardless of what I do, whether I'm going to be learning all day, I'll be davening all day, I'll be working all day, whatever it is, all of that is overall part of my, uh, my, my, uh, my Avodah Sashem. Okay, so that takes care of our morning routine. Say Modani, I wash my hands at Tila Shadayim, I go ahead and I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to have in mind all of these, uh, these things. Now, in, depending on what city you look at, you may have the brach on talus and tefillin at that point, you may have it later on. I'm not going to go into the individual mitzvahs of talus and tefillin, we're going to put that aside. Uh, I'll decide next week whether or not we'll do Birchas Torah, because we may just go ahead and chalk that up as that's just a bracha that you have to say before the mitzvah of, of Talmud Torah. So I'll put, I may put that together with uh, Talos and Tefillin, that it's, it's not part of davening per se, it's just part of a, a bracha that you need to say before you get there. So, but the next thing which is significant that I did make a, a, a copy of this, the PDF to put it on the screen in front of you, but the next thing that, uh, that we do, let me just grab my sitter. The next thing that we say is really when we arrive in shul, assuming that for those who are going to be arriving in shul, whether it's every day or whether it's just on Shabbos, 
but one of the things which we do, but some of it is a nice thing to, uh, to say anyways, even if you're not going to be in shul, but remember that the, the Gemara talks about how important it is. This is one of the lessons we learned from Avram Avinu. I think it was this last week's Parsha that we learned about the importance of having a makom kavua for davening, having a designated place where I go ahead and, uh, and, and I daven. And certainly in shul, it's a nice thing to go ahead and have a makom kavua. But in the event that one is going to find themselves davening at home, like at the beginning of Corona or in the event that you don't make it to Minyan. So whenever you're, you're going to be davening at home, it's also important to have a specific place where you go in order to be able to, uh, to daven, a specific location in the house, not just wherever you remember, just go ahead and daven there. The simple explanation for that is, and I think in this regard, the simplest is really the most profound and the most important. And that is because um, we, uh, you don't want to have too much uh, external input at the time that you're davening. Everybody here who's been, who was, uh, who, the first time you were at the Kosel, so in, or the Kotel, sorry. The first time you were at the Kotel and you anticipated this great holy moment when you would be davening at this holy site and it's going to be something which is an unbelievable tefillah because you're so close to God, closer than you've been until now. So you all had the experience that by the time you get there, you're completely overloaded by everything which is going on. There's so much sensory input, which is there, so many people and so many noises and so much sounds in the weather and all that different stuff. And people, the, the, the collectors, the tzedakah people know right away who are the new guys who are there, who haven't been there before. And they know to hit them up before you put on your shalyad, after you put on your shalyad, while you're putting on your shalyad rose, as you're saying all of the zaving, they know who you are and they're coming up to you asking you for tzedakah. And sadly, it becomes one of the most distracted feelings which you've ever had you know, or maybe in the course of your lifetime, but certainly over the last few months, just because so much is going on. So the advantage of having a makam kavua, of having a designated place, is you don't have to look around at your surroundings. You know what the walls look like already. You know what the outlets are. You know where the books are. You know all of the, the, those different things visually, which are going to be in your line of vision. And therefore, those aren't going to be distracting for you. So the less distractions, having a makam kavua is a way of creating an environment which you're familiar with so that you'll, it's most likely that you'll be able to have good kavana when you daven rather than being distracted by everything which is going on. It's a similar thing. You are, you're visiting another shul for Shabbos. You're at a simcha or something like that. So you come into the shul, you want to daven, but you got to look at the, the seats. Are they comfortable? They're not comfortable. You're looking at their own Kodesh. Is it nice? It's not nice. It's modern. It's classic. All the different things which are going on, you're looking at, at all of that, and it just becomes a huge distraction. It becomes very difficult to daven. So makam kavua is something which is extremely important, whether you're in shul or you're going to be davening at, at home. But certainly for those who arrive at shul, so the next thing that we do is we begin with matovu. So Matovu also is a collection of Psukim. The way I think it commonly appears in Psukim, it's one, two, three, four. It's about four or five different Psukim, which we say. One of them actually isn't a Pasuk. It's a, a variation of a Pasuk. The Pasuk talks about in the plural, and we go ahead and we put it into, into the singular. But these are all Psukim, which revolve around also uh, the, the goal and the intent of the recitation of these Psukim is mindfulness, mindfulness and awareness. So the first thing that we do is, we, when we get there is, this is actually even before we walk into Shul. If you look, this is something which is actually quite ancient as far as the Siddur is concerned, because this goes all the way back to the time of the Gaonim. So the time of the Gaonim is that, uh, we'll call it that bridge generation in between 
the rabbis of the of the Gemara and the Rishonim. So again, that 400 year period or so from the uh, the conclusion of the Gemara until you get to the time of the Rishonim. So that is the period of the uh, of the Gonim. So these saying these Tzukim is something which traces itself all the way back uh, all the way back there. But the first pasuk is one which is really the most fascinating pasuk in the collection, because we start off by saying Matovu Alecha Yaakov Yisrael. Translated, the uh, the Koren Sitter translates it as How goodly are your tents, Jacob? Your dwelling places, Israel. So this is <coughs> what we're trying to do over here. Is in Chazal understand that the Oalecha and the Mishkanosecha are going to be the Bate Knesios and the Bate Midrashos. These are the houses of worship which we go to, and we say how beautiful they are. So before you walk into Shul, so you want to be mindful and you want to be aware of the fact that you're not going into a just a room, or you're not entering into a building. It's not as if you're walking into uh, Walmart now. And it's not as if you're walking into the cleaners now. And it's not as if you're walking into the uh, the fruit store now. The room, the building that I'm about to enter into is a holy, sacred place. And if you don't bring that to your consciousness when you walk in, especially when you're running behind schedule and you're rushing in, so it's very easy to forget the fact that you're now entering into holy ground. If we assume that a Beis HaKnesis is a Mikdash Mat, is a miniature Beis HaMikdash, so we have to see the place as a holy, sacred place. And that's why things related to decorum are so emphasized in the shul because it's supposed to bring to that awareness of where we are and what we're supposed to, what we're supposed to, supposed to be doing. So before we even walk into shul, so the Gaonim already said that it's a good idea to go ahead and say this passage because this will bring to your attention the fact that I'm walking in now to a holy place rather than just stama building. Now, when I mentioned that this, what's interesting about this is, is that the Marshal of Shomaluria, so he actually, in his chuvas, he actually writes in opposition of saying Matovu before you go into a shul. Now you think to yourself, listen, everybody says Matovu. It's one of the, uh, the classic songs that the kids learn, uh, you know, from the time that you're, you're three or four, everybody's singing Matovu. So how could you go ahead and you could, how could anybody find offense with Matovu? So he says for the very simple reason, because who is the author of this Pasuk of Matovu Alecha Yaakov? It was Bilam. So Bilam, as he's looking out at the Jewish people and he's supposed to be cursing the Jewish people, he goes in and says Matovu. So the, the Marshal says, how could it possibly be that the, the mindset that you're going to bring with you, the, the phrase that you're going to bring with you as you walk into the shul was written by this Russia of a guy named Bilam who was trying his darndest to go ahead and curse the Jewish people, that's not the type of thing that you want to be thinking about when you walk into Shul. And therefore, he was actually opposed to using this, uh, this pasuk. He, was a, he didn't like it at all. But obviously, uh, he was preceded by a number of centuries by Geonim who advocated saying that. Then the, the, uh, the common practice is not like the marshal, and most people will go ahead and they will say matovu as they, uh, as they walk into Shul or before they walk into Shul. And then the rest of the psukim, they continue along this theme of being aware of what you're, where you're entering and what you're going to be doing. So we say, that I'm going to, uh, as for me, in your great loving kindness, I will enter into your house. And I'm going to bow uh, to your holy temple in awe of you. 
And that's, that's what we're going to be doing in Shul. When we enter into Shul, it's going to be Hishtach Avoya. We're going to be bowing down in recognition of God's greatness. I love your abode of your house and the sacred place of your honor. Once again, acknowledgement of the fact that in the shul itself or in this place where you're going to be davening is going to be Mishkan Kvodech, is going to be God's honor and his, his glory. And then this is where it's not really a pasuk, but it's a variation of a pasuk. So we state what our intention is. What is my intention as I'm, go- as I'm walking into Shul? My intention is, I will bow and worship. I will bend the knee before the Lord, my maker. So here we're going ahead and we're saying very clearly, this is what I plan to do while I'm here. It's not to catch up on the latest news and the latest schmooze that the people who are sitting next to me, but it's specifically the worship of God. And then that section, the way we commonly say it, Vani, as for me, I want my prayers to come before you, Hashem, at a time of favor, meaning that I want that my tefillah should hit the mark. They should be appropriate and they should be, uh, they should be accepted when I say them. Elokim barov chasdecha, Hashem, in your abundance of, uh, of kindness and, and mercy. Aneini be'emes yishecha, answer me with your faithful sa- uh, salvation. So this also frames for us what we're trying to accomplish as we go into shul. So mo da'ani and those psukim, those are tell us what the mindfulness and the consciousness I'm trying to bring to my day into my existence. And then Matovu, this brings to us the consciousness and the awareness of what I'm going to try and accomplish as I enter into shul or as I arrive at that place in the house where I'm going to be davening. So it should be clear the stated intent is something which is more likely going to make it happen than just running in there and doing it without any consciousness or without any, uh, without any uh, mindfulness of what we're, what we're trying to accomplish. So this now gets us through uh, Matovu. So next week we will definitely we'll we'll start off with uh, with Adon Olam, and then from there we'll we'll make the decision at some point whether to do Birchas Torah or not, and then from there, as we said, we'll move on to Birchas Birchas Any uh, questions, clarifications? Question. That, uh, yeah. Uh, at the first Dengelwasser before Rashi's Chachma, it wasn't yes. clear uh, whether that's with a bracha. Um. The, 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 um, so some people say the bracha at that point, and some people say it later. I, I, I say it at that point. I say it, uh, that the, right after I wash uh, wash my hands. So that's when I say those brachas of Otherwise, I may forget later on because lots of things going on, like daf yomi. So try to get the get that done. But there's actually machlokas. Some people wait until they get to shul to uh, to say those brachas, but I say it uh, right after washing. And then Reishi Shachma after the after that. All right, very good. And thank right, you, Rabbi. Night. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, thank you for coming. And we will Thursday see night, you seven o'clock. Thursday night, seven o'clock. God willing, to the halacha, and then next week again, seven o'clock. Um, yes, yeah, seven o'clock uh, Tuesday. All the best. Thank you very much. Okay.